Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference, and today also dedicated to Vanderbilt Athletics and Cincinnati basketball. I'm your host, Paul Oren. You can catch me on Twitter at NWI Oren, and you can find Union Street Hoops on the Information Superhighway at NWI.com, Apple Pods, Spotify, Google, all over the place. Thank you for listening. As always, happy to have you here. And we've got a jam-packed episode full of Union Street hoops here on the morning of the Valparaiso-Northern Iowa game. They play Wednesday night at the Arc. Whether or not you listen to this on Wednesday or later on in the week, you know that this is a great opportunity for Valparaiso to make a statement, to get a statement win in the Valley. Maybe one that would be their biggest win if they were able to pull this off. Then they've got a game at Loyola on Sunday. Then they've got Southern Illinois coming up next week. The meat of the schedule, if Valpo can get two of these three games, they're really in great position to avoid the Thursday night play-in game. If they go 0-3 in these three games, book your tickets for Thursday night in St. Louis. If they go 1-2, and we don't know anything, and they're still kind of going. That said, they've got two home games in this three-game stretch, You'd like to think you go 2-1, and one, but against some of the top competition. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Later on in the podcast, we're going to be joined by Valparaiso walk-ons Luke Morrill and Brock Pappas, who are going to take us into what it means to be a walk-on for Valparaiso, why John Kaiser is their hero, and a couple of other interesting nuggets about the Valpo basketball team. But before we get into all that, we've got to talk about this kind of crazy 24-hour stretch that of stuff that really wasn't related to Valpo, but was kind of in a way. First of all, the news came. It was a tweet from Jay Soroya late Monday night that said, uh, you know, something about, I'm, I'm actually going to bring up Twitter here so I can, I can get this uh, perfectly uh, quoted. Um, it's been a pleasure, USA, dot, dot, dot. My beloved Europe, here I come. And that was only his third tweet of the year, of the calendar year. Um, a week before that, a couple of days before that, he tweeted, of all the gin joints in all the towns and all the world, she walks into mine. Kind of not really sure where that came from. And then on January 6th, he tweeted, unexpected calls in 2020 with a couple of emojis there. So Jay Soroya, after playing in 15 games for Cincinnati, averaging just over 10 minutes a game, 3.3 points and 2.4 rebounds, is out. He's going back to Europe where he's ostensibly going to sign a pro contract, and that's what John Brannon said on Tuesday morning when he released it. Um, I had reached out to Jay Soroya over a direct message on Twitter because that's his preferred method of contact and has been his preferred method of contact throughout his Valpo career. And he did confirm in a one-word answer when I said, are you leaving Cincinnati? Are you going pro? Are you going back home? And I just got a yep. Is, uh, and, and, and so there you go. This brings to a close an interesting, interesting career of a college basketball player. Soroya, I think, and I'd have to go back and look, might have been the first Matt Loddick recruit. I don't remember where Bakari Evelyn and Joe Burton came in and John Middleton came in on that list as well. Soroya, um, I, I think, was being looked at by Luke Gore, um, even when Bryce Drew was still the head coach here, and maybe Matt Loddick as well, we're, we're looking at him, and then I think he signed after uh, Bryce took the job at Vanderbilt, which, hey, guess what? We're going to talk about that in a little bit too. So Soroya shows up, and 
it was clear the guy had talent, right? And, you know, he was soft-spoken, very quiet, um, kind of kept to himself a little bit from what I could tell, um, and, and, and went through, uh, you know, kind of a nondescript first couple years with Valpo and had some injuries, you know, the, the, the famous ankle injury last season where he ended up going, I mean, he was killing it in uh, preseason workouts from what we were told. And then he, uh, he got hurt, rolled an ankle, and he ended up going back home to Spain to get it treated and then ultimately made his return. And, you know, he, it, it was an odd year with, with Soroya, who he played 27 games. He started seven of them, you know, so he missed, he missed six games, I think, what it was. Averaged four points and three rebounds. Seven-footer, three rebounds. He did have 33 blocks, which he only had two blocks at Cincinnati, mind you. Um, and it just didn't, you know, and he knocked down both of his three-pointers, which that was always great. Led Valpo, or was second on the team behind Smiths at uh, 51% from the floor. And, uh, and and he, you know, 85 rebounds, 26 offensive rebounds, just kind of a nondescript year. After the season, everybody starts bolting, right? Bakari Evelyn, Javon Freeman Liberty announces he's transferring. Smiths was the first one. Golder, right after that. Bradford didn't go till much later on in the process. But it was. You know, the first wave was gone, and then there were rumblings about Soroya, and it came, I think, the day before the Final Four. I was in Minneapolis, and the news breaks that, that Soroya's going to transfer. And all of this was done over direct message between Robbie Weinstein and myself. Robbie, who will join us later on in the podcast to talk about the Vanderbilt situation, as Robbie is now at 247 Sports in, in Nashville, and, and we'll talk about that a bit later on. So Soroya announces that he's going to transfer in April. And, you know, I, I got a lot of conflicting information in the time that this that this went on. And, and matter of fact, it's been so long since I've really considered Soroya. I don't remember how much of this is out there and how much of this is not. But I'll, I'll give you the rundown of what I remember. Soroya, I think, and, and maybe I'm naive about this, but I imagine players in Europe who come up through their club system have some sort of holding deal um, or an understanding that that their rights are maybe owned or or something that, that someone gets the right of first refusal or whatever to sign them when they go back home. I could be completely off base on this, but this is kind of what I was what I was told was that Soroya had a I don't know what the word would be, uh, not an agent, maybe a handler, maybe someone looking out for his best interest back home, maybe someone looking out for somebody else's interest back home that suggested to Soroya that maybe they pursue a professional career after his junior year. This is not new to Valpo with international players. Rytus Groffs every year was looking at going pro overseas. Other guys, Lubos Barton, right? Even Auntie Nicola, those guys, every year it was wondering, are they going to come back or are they just going to go pro? And so Soroya is going to look overseas or someone representing Soroya is going to look overseas and see if there's a good deal that he can get. And maybe similar to like Major League Baseball, when you get drafted out of high school, you've got leverage. You're a player. You have leverage. You can leverage a contract offer from the team versus a, I got a scholarship that I can go to and play at Vanderbilt baseball or play at Miami or play at Cal State Fullerton or whatever that might be. 
And then again, after your junior year, when Major League Baseball allows you to be drafted again, you can leverage returning to college baseball for one more year. You still have a little bit of leverage there. After your senior year, you really don't have any leverage. You've been drafted. Now it's time to go. What else are you going to do? Are you going to play baseball or not? And same thing with Soroya. Maybe he's in a position to have better leverage if he decides to go pro after his junior year to get a better contract. Now, entering his name into the transfer portal, in theory, gives him even more leverage in that he can then weigh a return to Valpo. He can look at a bigger school, maybe like a Cincinnati or a Nevada or you know, something, I think he looked at UNC Wilmington, maybe the Jack Emanuel connection. For whatever reason, there that putting going in the transfer portal. From what I am remember hearing, it was his handler, uh, and again, I, I don't know if that's the right word. So, like, you know, I I don't know the inner workings of all this stuff, but it sounds like somebody might have gotten in Soroya's ear and said let's get some more flexibility and leverage with a pro contract offer. And the brief conversations that I had with Matt Lodick about this when it was going on, I think he said, yeah, if you can go get a big contract offer from overseas, why wouldn't you go? Of course you should go. So what ends up happening is Soroya puts his name in the transfer portal with the idea that he's going to gain leverage to get a, a new, you know, maybe a better offer. And when that offer didn't come, it's understood he's coming back to Valpo. Well, now he's gone on some visits, and maybe he's seen some things that he likes. Maybe his handler or whatever says, you've got a better position, you're in better chance to go play in this conference and do that. And ultimately, two months later, the beginning of June, Soroya announces, out of the blue, he's going to Cincinnati. When everything I've heard, it was basically illustrated that he was coming back to Valpo. So he goes to Cincinnati. And I don't remember the date of this uh, when, when it happened. I'm going to try to briefly look this up because I'm not a prepared podcast host. Um, and Chris Vote transfers from Northern Kentucky. And it was in July. No, excuse me. It was in October. Excuse me, October, when Chris Vote received the waiver for immediate eligibility. Chris Waver was a guy, uh, excuse me, Chris Vote was a guy who played at Northern Kentucky. And then he uh, he he transfers to follow John Brandon to Cincinnati. If he doesn't get that waiver, I bet Soroya is a starting center for that team, if not, you know, one of the top top guys there. And so now Vote is suddenly gonna play, and he's playing thirty minutes a game, and Soroya's back on the bench. And now is he getting a better opportunity because he's in Cincinnati as opposed to Valpo? I'd imagine there was a little bit of buyer's remorse there on the part of Soroya and or whomever made the decision to get him to Cincinnati. Matter of fact, I'd heard rumblings at one point that Soroya explored a possibility of returning to Valpo, but he I think he'd already enrolled in classes at Cincinnati, and then there was a fear that do you have to sit a year out? And so Soroya stuck with Cincinnati, then he gets hurt and missed a couple of games, and he really had a nondescript season with Cincinnati. And probably to the point that he got fed up and said, I'm, I'm going to go get paid. And why wouldn't you? The guy's battled some injuries the last couple of years. He's struggled to stay healthy. You're a big guy. You've got a limited shelf life just because of the body concerns. Go get paid, especially if you're not the starting center or you're not, you know, whatever. So I, I'm seeing a lot from Cincinnati fans about how Soroya quit the team. 
Soraya signed with that team with the idea that he'd probably be the starting center, right? I mean, they didn't think Chris Vogt was going to get a, met, a, a hardship waiver. How does he get a hardship waiver? Most of these hardship waivers are because you move closer to home. He was at Northern Kentucky. He transferred to Cincinnati. That's like a walk across the bridge. I've been over there. It's, they're not far from each other. Matter of fact, Chris votes from Kentucky. He's going to school in another state now. He didn't move closer to home. He moved further away from home. Right? So did he get a waiver because his coach left or whatever? That I, I don't know how he got that waiver, but all I know is by getting that waiver – it changed Jay Soroya's situation. So you want to say that he quit on the team and all that. He went there with the idea that he was going to be the starting center and or have the opportunity to be the starting center. Chris Vogt comes in. Brandon's played with him for two years, knows who he is, and maybe he's a better player. I've, I've, I've watched one Cincinnati game this year, and there you go. And then people, Valpo fans, are, are, I saw on some social media stuff yesterday talking about how, you know, good riddance, Jay, uh, now you've quit two teams in a row. What if Jay Soroya never wanted to quit Valpo? What if Jay Soroya wanted to come back and he was pushed to go somewhere else? What if he wanted to return to Valpo and the scholarship had been filled and it just because of some technicalities because he enrolled in a class at Cincinnati, he wasn't able to? Sometimes not everything's what it seems. And I'm not saying that, that, that Soroya is not someone who walked away from Valpo and not someone who walked away from Cincinnati, but maybe it was just out of his control. Maybe he just says, farewell, USA. I'm going back to my beloved home. What if it just didn't work out for him? I, I don't know. You know, I say I don't know what Jay Soroya's legacy at Valpo is going to be. I don't think he's going to get a legacy at Valpo. I think he'll... He'll fall into the pile of players that have come and gone, and and maybe they've never returned again. And but I've, you know, to say that I was close with Jay would be not not a thing. He was very he kind of kept people at arm's length a little bit. He was quiet. That said, I really enjoyed getting to talk to him over the years. Thought he was a good guy, and really was looking forward to seeing what he could do in a kind of a starter's full time role with Valpo this year. I don't think it's a stretch to say that Valpo's a better team with Jay Soroya on it. And I think Lodic knows it. I think Jay Soroya knows it. I think Jay Soroya's handler, whoever that may be, maybe maybe it's it's not even a, a person, an entity, whatever, a Fugazi, a Fugazi. I don't know. Uh, there, thank you, Matthew McConaughey, for that one. Uh, anyways, best of luck J- to Jay Soroya going forward. Hope he has a prolific pro career. And that wraps up a tale of, of one of the more interesting situations to come through Valpo. Pivoting back to Vanderbilt, Malcolm Turner, the athletic director, who fired Bryce Drew, resigned on Tuesday. Now, I'd called Robbie Weinstein on Monday and told him about the Soroya stuff because, you know, we, we touched on that. And Robbie will be on the podcast here in a little bit, and he'll talk all about about this. And he said, oh, by the way, I'm hearing rumblings that there's some discord within the Vanderbilt athletic program. He said the AD is, is a little bit of a power struggle uh, with the higher-ups or whatever. And uh, I said, oh, that's interesting. Guess we'll we'll pay attention to that as it comes out. And then yesterday, Tuesday, he's out, 1030 in the morning. He resigns. And, uh, you know, I, it's, it's baffling to me. Uh, a lot of rumors about financial strife at Vanderbilt where he blew through a bunch of money. One article I read said that there was a $17 million rainy day fund that evaporated. Um, 
this is here's here's the interesting element of college basketball that blows my mind. So, David Williams, the longtime athletic director at Vanderbilt, retires. They're going to find a new a new AD, and we'll get to David Williams in a second. They're going to get a new AD. So Vanderbilt enlists the search firm Corn Ferry, which they place a lot of coaches and a lot of ADs in po- prominent, powerful positions. It's a consulting firm that they go through. Vanderbilt uses this firm, and they find Malcolm Turner, who is running the G League or had a big management spot in the G League. They bring in Malcolm Turner. Okay. What happens next is Malcolm Turner's first big decision is he decides that he wants to pay Bryce Drew not to coach. And then he hires the same search firm that found him to find the basketball coach and pays them like an exorbitant amount of money to find a basketball coach. Isn't that your job as the athletic director to go find a basketball coach? And and there's other talks out there that, that one of the things they're bringing in Malcolm Turner to do is to create this strategic plan to kind of figure out how Vandy Athletics is going to be successful. And the word out there is that he spent millions of dollars hiring consulting firms to come up with this plan. That isn't it his job to come up with this plan? I don't know enough. I'm naive. I do have a master's degree in sports administration. So I guess I at least on paper have some semblance of authority on this, although I have zero authority whatsoever because I've never used said master's degree. I just have one, but I've taken all the classes, right? I don't understand the whole consulting firm thing. You, The school pays for a firm to find Malcolm Turner. Turner then pays the same firm to find a basketball coach. Hey, you found me. You scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. Here's $3 million to go find a basketball coach. I don't know if that's how much they paid the firm or anything like that, but that's the number I've seen and floated out there. It just feels like a a lot of mutual back scratching and sweetheart deals for different things and all of that. And suddenly this rainy day fund is depreciated and, and all of that. And, and look, I don't cover Vandy, so I don't know much about it. Um, I I I just think that for if, if if this guy's being criticized for not making sound financial decisions and the first decision he made was to pay Bryce Drew not to coach the team that 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 tracks for me. I feel like that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I want to bring in Robbie Weinstein right now. And for those who don't know and, and we'll touch on this in a second, Robbie uh, I loved working with him at the Times, and I never really gave him a proper send-off on here. He was wonderful. He came in to the Times in a moment of strife when we got editors moving on and reporters moving on and people you know, people just saying, I'd rather just be negative on Twitter as opposed to actually being a reporter. And, uh, and we bring in Robbie and we bring in James, and it's been wonderful to have those guys on board, and I really enjoyed getting to know Robbie, and I'm working a lot more with James now, and, uh, and they've been great. So uh, Robbie did a, a year plus with us at the times um, covered a lot of Alpo basketball alongside me and uh, and I miss him now that he's gone I had a great time getting to know him but we've actually we've stayed in touch we've stayed in contact and and it was that phone call two nights ago that tipped me off that something was going on and so today I, I texted him and I said hey I know it's national signing day I know you got a lot going on but let's uh, let let's let's jam for a little bit about this so here is Robbie 
Number one in your hearts and your programs, Robbie Weinstein. How you doing, Robbie? I'm good, Paul. Number one. Wow, that's uh, that's high praise. I don't know. Maybe I feel like I'm maybe number two, number three. That might be, uh, you know, number one. Number one is a lot to live up to. Well, if there's any number, you're two four seven because that's where you're at now. Two four seven sports dot com. You're back in Nashville. You're covering Vanderbilt. Uh, we loved having you here in Valpo, but you're back where where it all got started. And hey. How about it? You go there, the team where Valpo's former head coach was at, he didn't win a game in the conference, he gets fired, and now their current coach hasn't won a game in the conference, and the AD resigns. What have the last 24 hours been like for you? Uh, It's been nuts. Uh, I mean, there were rumors out there, uh, you know, like, I guess the night before, and probably going back even before that, about uh, friction between the AD, Malcolm Turner, and uh, and you know, administration, whoever that may be, specifically probably the uh, interim chancellor. Uh, but, you know, as you said, I just got down here, just started this job maybe like two and a half weeks ago, so that's not really long enough for me to you know, uh, <laughs> get something like that. I don't have the full backstory. I've been here, you know, for two and a half weeks of this guy's uh, year-long tenure. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the news officially broke at 10.30 a.m. Central Time uh, yesterday on Tuesday. And, um, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's just crazy because uh, when do ADs, you know, you hear of coaches staying only one year. I can't remember an AD who only stayed one year. So there's been a lot of stuff out there about money and all of that. And, you know, really, this is, as you know, you've been on here before. This is a Valpo basketball podcast. So the the reason why we care about it here is more of the the Bryce Drew angle, right? Uh, Malcolm Turner comes in and he is basically first major decision he made was to decide to pay Bryce Drew not to coach. And then there's been a lot of other financial decisions, and that really has been the, the crux of this, it sounds like, financially. You've been following Vanderbilt in all of that. Is what what do you what do you look at Bryce's role in all of this? Was he kind of unfairly kicked out? You know, I mean, you you can't really go winless in conference and not have some repercussions, right? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly from his perspective, I think he's one of the the big winners of of yesterday. Uh, he can very easily now sell to you know if he wants to get back into coaching, like at the Power Five level or wherever. Uh, you can say, hey, look what happened with this athletic director who fired me. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, I, so my stance on Bryce being fired was that I did not, I thought that it was unlikely they were going to be able to get a huge upgrade at that point. Uh, there were rumors about John Thompson the third, uh, Johnny Dawkins. Uh, I didn't think either of those guys would really be uh, significant upgrades. And in that case, you know, to give Bryce a chance, basically, to coach more than three years. Uh, Jerry's back, Alice. I, I still think, even though they have not won a conference game this year, I think he's a, he showed a lot as an X's and O's coach. The guys who haven't gotten, who didn't get better under Bryce, have gotten better under Stackhouse. And I just, you know, he had been talked about as a really uh, high-level rising prospect in the NBA ranks, where a lot of the best coaches are. Uh, so if, if I mean, I, I think considering who they got in Stackhouse, who I think pretty highly of, I think it was uh, fair to fire Bryce. You know, they were coming out probably the two worst seasons in program history in uh, 2018 and 2019. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I don't think, you know, I mean, 
Paul was one that was really kind of considering and pushing for him at one point before they went back to Dave Leto, and and now I, I have a feeling DePaul may be a, a school that might be looked at at some point. Um, obviously, it's it's been a unique couple days there, and it's really funny because we had talked on the phone you and I two nights ago, and you'd hinted at this. But while you're here, I wanted to touch on something else, which I've already hit on in the podcast here today. Uh, Jay Soroya leaving Cincinnati. Um, what was your reaction when you heard that news? I was not too surprised, honestly. I mean, the, uh, there was a lot of weirdness surrounding the situation when he left Valpo last year. Uh, like, I was contacting him via direct message on Twitter. And, uh, I remember, I think it was when he decided that he was uh, when he was going to transfer from Valpo, I think it was, he let me know at, like, I was out on the West Coast uh, on vacation, and so the, the, the Twitter message came in at, like, 4-something a.m. Uh, but, you know, he would, like, message me at kind of, like, odd times, often very early in the morning. You know, even earlier in that season, he had gone back, I think, to Spain, right, uh, for, you know, when he was treating a, a sprained ankle. So, I mean... I think with international players, uh, the game is just a little little different in terms of they they don't really you know you you grow up in this system where not everybody goes to play college basketball. So I mean I wasn't like shocked, especially because since he wasn't playing huge minutes. But at the same time, I, I think he's a pretty good like defensive big man, and I don't know you know leaving in the middle of the season strikes me as odd. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's kind of a unique situation. We'll see uh, kind of how things shake out there. Robbie, thank you for joining. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a continued, uh, and it's National Signing Day for football, and you've got baseball starting up. It, uh, it, it's, it's. Is there any rest for the weary out there? Not really. Uh, I like to go out to Arizona once a year to see family, uh, and, and I am going this year in, like, in, I guess, a, about a week. Uh, but I'm going to be the Vanderbilt baseball team is is playing their first three games of the season out there, so I'm actually it's kind of like half business, half just for fun. Uh, so it's not really a whole lot of rest, but uh, you know uh, I'm I'm enjoying Nashville and I'm enjoying keeping up with uh, what you and, and James Boy and David Funk and, and Mike Park and everybody at the time is doing. Well, hey, we appreciate it. Have some Hattie B's hot chicken for me, Robbie. Thank you very much. Great to have Robbie back on Union Street Hoops, and we miss him here in Valpo, but love what he's doing down there in Nashville. Go to 247sports.com and check out Robbie's work with Vanderbilt. I just want to wrap up this Bryce Drew thing for a second, or this Malcolm Turner thing as it relates to Bryce Drew, because that's why we care about it here on Union Street Hoops. I, you know, I think it's clear that he got a raw deal. Uh, I know that going winless in conference is a is a is a stain that doesn't really go away, but. There's a couple different things for me that make me think Bryce Drew would still have a job. It's just like a series of un- unfortunate events that happened. If Matthew Fisher Davis doesn't commit a foul in the NCAA tournament in 2017, 
I think Bryce Fear still has a job. They win that game. They beat Northwestern. Vanderbilt would have if, if Fisher Davis doesn't commit that foul. And they win the game. And then you, you never know. Then you go to the round of 32, and maybe you win a game there. And maybe maybe Bryce Drew gets to the Sweet 16 in his first year as Vanderbilt's coach, and he's beloved. The second year, it just things didn't go well, right? They graduated a couple of their top guys. Some of the younger players just uh, it was a struggle kind of getting them going. They were a younger team. And, you know, it's a transition year. It, it, it almost always is. But that third year, they bring in – one of the top recruiting classes Vanderbilt's ever had, if not the best recruiting class with Darius Garland. Chatou was another one. Aaron Nesmith, I think. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but um, just a loaded class, right? And if Darius Garland doesn't get hurt, Vanderbilt has a great year and Bryce Drew still has a job. Well, then David Williams, the longtime athletic director and just kind of an icon and, and great, great, figure in Vanderbilt athletics history, he retires. If he stays the AD, Bryce Drew still has a job. Then, and this is morbidly horrible, the morning of his retirement party, David Williams passes away at the breakfast table, dies. If he doesn't die, and this is it's awful to say it this way, but if he doesn't die, Bryce Drew still has a job. And I say that because I don't think they're getting rid of one of his last big hires if he's still around. You know, I just, I feel like that isn't going to happen. Then they, when they bring in Malcolm Turner, uh, Candace Story Lee, who is now the interim athletic director and who has a great story in and of herself, which is being overshadowed by all this craziness with Malcolm Turner. If they hire her and who was David Williams kind of protege if they hire her instead of Malcolm Turner, I think Bryce Drew probably still has a job. So, again, we talked about it with Robbie. You know, you, you go winless, you go 0-4 in the SEC. That's tough to overcome. But it was, I mean, Darius Garland doesn't get hurt. There you go. And now he got hurt early in the season. How come this team was not able to figure out a way to adapt and, and get back into it? That we'll never know, right? Uh, they did have, I mean, they had Tennessee basically beat number one Tennessee in the country on the road, had them basically beat last year. A couple of unfortunate foul calls down the stretch, like some really egregious kind of stuff, and uh, and that one got away from them. They win that game, who knows? A lot of wouldas and couldas there. I, I don't know the answers other than to say that uh, Robbie said it. He said Bryce Drew comes out a big winner in this. I, when I when I talked to uh, I talked to Bryce last week for the Kobe Bryant stuff, and when we were done talking about Kobe, we had a very brief conversation about kind of how things were going at ESPN and how much he was enjoying that. And kind of uh, I offered up to him. I don't know that he needs my opinion on anything. And I said, "Look, Vanderbilt hasn't won a game this year. Uh, you know, in, in conference, that probably." gives you a little bit of validation. And Bryce, being the kind of guy he is, you know, just wants nothing but success for the guys that he recruited there and that he coached there. And and he just says that he's pulling for those guys and it's got, you know, there's no there's not a vindictive bone in Bryce Drew's body, at least not one that he's ever illustrated to me before. And, you know, and I, I told him, I said, look, coaches and athletic directors know you got a raw deal. And this even further illustrates that. And now I think, as Robbie said, he can walk in any job interview and say, look at the, you know, 
just craziness I was dealing with there at Vanderbilt. And, you know, the guy left after a year, and it, it uh, Bryce Drew will be back on his feet without question. And, you know, could it be a DePaul? Could it be, you know, a, a bigger school? I He was one of the hottest names in coaching three years ago. And two bad years, does that undo all of that? I mean, he can recruit, there's no question. And I, I, th I think, I think some good days are still ahead for Bryce Drew. And until then, we'll watch him on ESPN. Like I said, later on in the podcast, we're going to be joined by Luke Morrill and Brock Pappas from the Valparaiso basketball team. I do want to touch on a couple of Valpo games that happened in the last week. You know, we joke here that a Valpo game can't officially start until they're down by 11 in the first half. Well, that's what happened against Bradley, down 37-26 at the break. And they fought all the way back. Fizikas started the second half. Good to see Ryan Fizikas back in form. He took 11 three-pointers in that game. Valpo took 33 in the game and shot 24%. Um, and he and Fizikas took a third of them. He was 4 of four of 11, which means the rest of the team was 4 of 22. Not great numbers. Um, 15 points for Donovan Clay, 21.7 rebounds four assists and two steals for Javon Freeman Liberty, who looked like he was getting back healthy after that knee injury suffered against Indiana State. Valpo got all the way back to within two points and just could not close the door, and Bradley ends the game on a, on a long, long scoring run. And that was a tough one. And after the game, you know, you, you struggle to come up with the questions to ask after a game like that's right there. You, you got back into it. It feels cliche. Did you expend all your energy getting back in the game? And then Bradley closed it out. And, you know, Lodic didn't talk about moral, uh, moral victory, but he, he did allude that he, he is just appreciating the fire and competitive nature of his team. We've seen it all season long. There's no doubt. These guys get down early, and they fight back. They're a resilient bunch. They've got to figure out how not to get down early. It's as simple as that, right? They've just got to figure this out, and they're not figuring it out. Maybe Fizikas back in the starting lineup will help. You kind of are playing with your full deck now. Looking at the minutes breakdown of this game against Bradley, Freeman Liberty started and played 36 minutes. Donovan Clay started and played 31 minutes. The other three starters, Saki played 19, Aaron Gordon played 12, Malik McMillan played 10. Fizikas played 29, Kaiser played 27, and Nick Robinson played 25 off the bench. It, it It's it's like an eight-man rotation. You throw Zion Morgan and Ben Cricky in there, and we're going to get to Cricky in a second. And it, the minute distribution just seemed way off in that game. Now, there's some foul concerns there. Um you know, Malik was limited to, to 10 minutes because of four fouls. Uh, and then we look at the Illinois State game. A little bit more balance here. 34 minutes from Freeman Liberty, 28 minutes from Fizikas, 24 for Saki and Clay. Another game where McMillan is limited to 10 minutes because of fouls. It's just it's a difficult, difficult stretch for Malik right now. But the guy that really shined in that game was Ben Cricky. 24 minutes, 17 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. He had a steal and a block. What a great game from the freshman. And afterward, Brandon Vickery tweeted out, and this is a fascinating stat, going back to 1989-90 when Valpo box scores are, are the individualized box scores are all digitized going back to that time, they were able to see that no freshman has ever led the team in points, rebounds, and assists in one game before. 
all three of those categories in one game. We're talking Bryce Drew, Alec Peters, Lubos Barton. Those guys, uh, Brokoff didn't start much as a freshman. I don't remember. I don't recall if he did. Uh, those other three guys, they started a ton of games as a freshman, almost every game, and they never did this, points, rebounds, and assists. And those guys all passed the ball and rebounded the ball as well as scored. And Ben Cricky did this coming off the bench. Very impressive. But you look at that Bradley game, he played five minutes. He didn't really do much in that game. So some nights he's got it, some nights he doesn't. And some nights the coaches figure out early on, hey, we're going to ride this guy, give him the opportunity to go. Valpo played 10 guys, 10 or more minutes in this game. They played eight guys, you know, double-digit minutes against Bradley. But as per usual, Valpo fell behind early on against Illinois State. They didn't score for like four and a half minutes into the game. And it just was a really slow, slow plotting game. One that I wasn't at, I was in Miami doing Super Bowl stuff. That was a blast. Uh, but excited to see Valpo tonight, Wednesday night. It's again, it's just in the afternoon right now on Wednesday as I'm recording this, playing Northern Iowa. And I'll go back to, to kind of wrap this up before we go into Luke Morrill and Brock Pappas. This is a big stretch for Valpo because they have a chance to make a statement, to get a big win. Valpo fans should be coming out for this game, right? It's a 19-3 and Northern Iowa team. They're the presumptive favorites going into Arch Madness already at this point, and it is a show between A.J. Green and Javon Freeman Liberty. There's eight other guys on the floor, but those are the two stars, and they put on an absolute show when they met in Cedar Falls earlier this year going back to that game, an 88-78 loss on January 15th for Valpo in a game that was a bit closer than the final score indicated. Valpo was up six at the half. Matter of fact, they as as they, they went through the game, I mean, they, they, they played really well. Javon Freeman-Liberty, 28 points, eight rebounds, four steals in the game, 13 points for Cricky off the bench in 20 minutes, had three three-pointers. Leads me to believe that Cricky might have a big role in tonight's game. Aaron Gordon had eight points before fouling out in 24 minutes. Malik McMillan had 11 points, but limited again to 17 minutes. Saki, you know, started getting back into double figures there. But Northern Iowa had five players in double figures. Matter of fact, six guys scored, five of them in double figures, capped off by A.J. Green's 29 points. Looking back over the last three, two, two plus years in the Valley, I'm trying to think of what Valpo's statement win would be. Maybe at Illinois State last year, when Illinois State came in the, the game 7-3 and three in conference and Javon Freeman-Liberty had 27 points in that game. Maybe, you know, that one strikes me that, you know, they, the first four wins to start conference last year, Illinois State at home at Missouri State, Bradley at home at Southern Illinois, those were all solid, and but really for me, the big statement opportunity was then going to Loyola that that Tuesday night last year, and and they just they they were down big and it never really got going there. Down ten at the break, and it was just a really really tough tough game for Loyola or for Valpo in that one. Uh, Marcus Golder had sixteen points, but nobody else did anything in that game. Um, that was an opportunity to get a statement win, and they didn't do it. 
going back to the previous year, Valpo's first year in the Valley, uh, the 2017-2018 season, I don't even really remember many of the conference games standing out to me. You know, you you opened on the road at Indiana State, and then you had a home game against Missouri State, who were the, you know, the conference favorites at that point. That was an opportunity to get a statement win, and Valpo lost at home by 17. Missouri State ended up not being that good that year, but that was, you know, that was a tough one. Um, you know, just a couple other games that, that stood out that year. Loyola at home, it was, uh, you know, Sunday, I remember, and just another game where you, you're bringing in a, a pretty solid team that that they had not made the Final Four run yet, and, and they looked, it was a tight game throughout, and Valpo just couldn't do it. And then when they went on the road to Loyola on Valentine's Day, uh, it was a, you know, Valpo scored 50 points in the second half in that one. And, um, you know, Jay Soroya, you know, played 25 minutes, had 12 points, three blocks. Great game for him, but going up against Crutwig, but they just couldn't get it done. Tonight against Northern Iowa is Valpo's best chance at kind of a, a statement win. And I think back to Matt Loddick's tenure with Valpo, and he had a lot of statement wins in the non-conference, his his first year, you know, you think about the uh, the the BYU game, the Alabama game, the Rhode Island uh, game against a ranked team. Those were all big. I thought the win at Wright State when Peters was announced being for the year, um, that was a big one. They didn't win another game that year. But there were a handful of those big wins, and Valpo just has not had, A, many chances, and B, any wins in big statement games since then. If I think about the schedule this year, the Toledo game was a solid win to start off the year. The Central Michigan game, the 22-point win against Central Michigan is probably their best win of the year on Homer Drew Day. Um, but this game is a opportunity for Valpo to make a statement. And then they've got Loyola on the road, and then they've got Southern Illinois. I think if Valpo can go 2-1 and one in these next three games – they're they're sitting pretty, and you think there's a good opportunity to go forward here. If they go one and two, you still have some work to do, and that's tough because that means you're dropping at least one home game. If you go zero oh and three, that's really tough for Valpo. You got to be able to pull at least one, if not two, of these out. And I say two because again, it's two home games. You want to, you know, that they talk in the NFL all the time. You win your eight home games and you split on the road, you go 12-4, and four, you're in the playoffs. You know, you win your nine home games in this league and you split on the road, you know, go you go four and five or five and four, or even if you go three and six or something like that, you're still right there. You're a 12 and six team and you're, and you're looking pretty fine there. Uh, you got to win your home games. Valpo has won all of them except for one, that tough loss against Loyola to start off the conference season. Uh, that is the only home loss of the season. Valpo's eight and one at home. The arc has, you know, for whatever it is with attendance and all of that, it is a bit of a home court advantage, or maybe it's just the way the schedule has shaken out. But Valpo again is going to play number one at home on Wednesday, February 5th tonight, next week on the 12th, they play a team tied for second place. Then on Saturday, the 22nd, they play another top team, there and then on the 25th of Tuesday, the final home game, as they've got four more left, they're playing the team that was projected to win the league to start. So, uh, if you look at the teams they've already played in conference, you know, they've played Illinois State, 
bottom rung team this year just because of the turnover. Evansville 0-10, Indiana State, they won that one. It's a good win for Valpo. Uh, Indiana State is hot and cold all the time. And then winning a game against Drake on the day that Drake announces that one of their star players is out for the year. It, uh, this is the game tonight. This is the one that Valpo needs to win. Not needs to play close and needs to, you know, come up just short at the end like they've done a couple times. They need this one. Not one where they fall behind by 12 points and then make a valiant comeback effort that makes you feel good about it. Valpo needs this game tonight against Northern Iowa because it it would set up a lot going forward, right? You win this one, you come into Loyola with some confidence, and that Loyola team is not infallible, right? They're They're not... invincible. And, you know, Crutwig is a, is a problem. And there are other players, Tate Hall, who Valpo looked at uh, as, a, as a recruit coming out of Juco. I mean, UIndy, I think. Um, I mean, they're, look, Loyola's good, but they can be beaten. And Southern Illinois is, you know, maybe the right guy, the right message at the right time with the right collection of players. And they don't even have their best guy on the team this year. Uh, there's some winnable games there's also an opportunity for Valpo to go 0-3 and torpedo this conference slate here. Bill Parcells is famous for saying, you are what your record says you are. Valpo's a 500 team. I throw out the Trinity Christian game because I just don't believe in non-D1 games counting toward the stats. Valpo's 11-11, and and they're 5-5 five and five in conference. They're absolutely vanilla across the board. It's time to see where Valpo can go. Big game against Northern Iowa. I'm pumped. I think it's going to be a fun atmosphere. Should be a good show. I'm pumped to watch A.J. Green play. I'm pumped to watch Taiwan Pickford and Austin Fife and Trey Burhau and Spencer Haldeman. That's a loaded team. But Valpo's got a golden opportunity here to make a statement. I want to bring in some guys now that I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. They're guys that are at every game, too, just like you know a lot of you fans are, uh, and they're guys that, uh, that are a big part of the Valpo program in a way away from the court. So uh, please enjoy this interview. See you tonight at the Arc, and catch you later on. Thanks for listening to Union Street Hoops. This is really exciting because I think it's an opportunity to talk to some guys that maybe don't ever really get to talk. Um, at least to the media, uh, joined by Valparaiso walk-ons Brock Pappas and Luke Morrill. Guys, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Uh, you know, I, I I just think there are few things more sacred in life than being a Division One wa- walk-on, right? Like in that, I don't know that a lot of people know what you guys do. You know, every once in a while, blowouts one way or the other, we may get a chance to see you guys. There haven't been many blowouts one way or the other this year, so it's been a couple months, it feels like, since we got to see you guys on the court, but it's not like you're not doing your job. Um, Luke, I want to start with you. What's your job? Um, just make the team better, do anything in practice I got to do. So whether that's scout or uh, helping out in drills, uh, just to make the team prepared for our games uh, is kind of what my job is. Brock, Matt Lodick, Coach Lodick, talked about this year he wanted to recreate a new culture here and when I've asked him about you guys before he said that there are no two guys that are loved more in this culture this program than you two and uh and and he talked about your infectious energy and how much you just kind of smile all the time just what's your take on this this culture thing that he's talking about well I think it goes team-wide too we're just a great group of guys that get together really well and like being in together the whole summer like helped out a lot and for speaking for me and Luke I think we're both just really two positive energy guys and I think that's perfect for a walk-on because 
they got to they got to be the people day in and day out like always bring in high energy if maybe the other guys aren't feeling it we got to be those guys that every day cuz i mean we're not getting all the like game game time like playing or whatever so we got to have energy elsewhere whether it be on the bench or in practice but anything like that yeah Brock, you're from the area. You went to Washington Township. Your brother was named after Bryce Drew. Mm-hmm. You couldn't. They couldn't give you another Valpo great <laughs> no, to be named after. No, I guess not. Well, uh, yeah, my mom actually knew uh, Bryce's mom and like had worked with her because she's worked. My mom's worked here for like 30 years, and uh, she really liked Bryce when he was coming through school. My, so my brother was born in '96, so it was before the famous shot. So okay, he's not, he's not born after the famous shot, but she really liked the name and she really liked Bryce, so she decided to yeah name my other brother him. They they couldn't have given you like uh, I'm trying to think of who else but Jenkins maybe yeah, or something no, like that. No, couldn't give me any other ones. Well, Brock is solid. So uh, obviously you've grown up here. Maybe do you have like a first memory of coming to Valpo games or anything like that? Um, I don't. Uh, I definitely have a first memory of coming when I was little. But uh, one that my parents always tell me about is uh, when ISU played here and Larry Bird was at one of the games. My dad said I was about three years old and I was on his shoulders. And we went down, uh, down at like the court to like go meet him or whatever. And my dad was like pointing me out, like, "Do you know who that is?" And I told him, like, "Yeah, I know that guy. He's from Space Jam." And like <laughs> that, that's how I knew him. Instead of like him being this all-time basketball great, I knew him because he was from Space Jam. But like, yeah, that's one of my first memories of it. So pretty easy decision for you to want to come here. Oh yeah, definitely. Luke, how do you get on the map of Valpo? I know what Elise Pitts uh, oh, yeah. from the women's team. She yeah. came here last year and. Uh, and, and so how do you end up on Valpo's radar? Um, I'm, I'm actually really good friends with uh, Levante Doherty. Okay. Yeah. So um, I talked to him, and I said, um, I know you went to Valpo. I like it. I like the school because I'm uh, uh, studying to be an engineer. I thought they have a really good school, and I'd love to be a part of a uh, you know, winning basketball culture and uh, be on a D1 team. So I reached out to him, and he talked to Coach Gore about maybe letting me be a walk-on here and yeah, that's how, that's how it all started. When we think walk-on, especially if you're from this area, which, again, Brock, you're from here. You're not from not far away. Mm-hmm. We think uh, of Rudy, right? You know, have, have, have you guys seen the movie? Do you guys oh, yeah. know the story? What, yeah. what, when you watch that, uh, I mean, what, what do you guys think? I mean, it's it's definitely awesome to, like, see someone like Rudy, like, in that movie, like, get lifted up and everything. Like, it's so cool, like, how loved he was or whatever. But I think another thing that, like, at least for myself that I always look at, like, as a walk-on is John Kaiser. Oh, we're going to get to John yeah, in a second. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure. But, yeah, that's kind of someone that, like, I look up to as a walk-on and just kind of his persona, his, like, what he bought into. Like, I've talked with him and talked with Coach Gore about everything he did, like, as a walk-on and then leading on later into his career and everything. But, yeah. You have any thoughts? Is, I mean, is Rudy yeah. one of your favorite movies? Yeah, it's a good. It's actually one of my, my dad's one of my dad's favorite movies. But yeah, um, yeah, kind of the same thing Brock said. It's you know your role now, but I'm always striving to to be better. Maybe not be a walk on one So Kaiser comes in as a walk on, and even before him, you got Jason Karras here, mm-hmm. who who uh, was a walk on and has kind of built himself up into a role that he's got now. But you look at Kaiser as a guy who comes in as a walk on, and you know, earns a scholarship, and I, you know, it's very rare for that to happen. But I, did, did he? Has he ever kind of set you aside and said, "Guys, this is the mentality that I had." What have you learned from John Kaiser? Um, I'll go. I'll go first. Uh, he's definitely talked to me aside, and like, just like at the beginning of the year in practice when we had like tons of people healthy, <laughs> we we didn't get a 
a lot of reps, but as people got injured, and like everyone knows, we have had plenty of injuries throughout the season. We, me and Luke had to jump in and practice and play all those different like positions and stuff and like know all these different plays. And John kind of told us like, you guys got to make sure you know all the different spots because you never know when you're going to get thrown in there and you just got to, you can't mess up like for everyone else. So you got to be ready and everything like that. What's a piece of advice, Luke, that, that John has given you? Um, other than helping me out with some engineering homework and problems. <laughs> yeah, you fall right in line with right. that. Yeah, so he's he's definitely been a mentor to me. But um, like kind of just what Brock said, being prepared, coming in, working hard every day, uh, just doing the little things right uh, will go a long way. One of my favorite stories about John is when he was a freshman, he was basically assigned. Maybe he wasn't assigned. Maybe he just found this role on his own to just be a thorn in the side of Alec Peters, right? Yeah. And uh, it, to this day, I, I when I communicate with Alec, he, with a great amount of admiration and love, talks about John. And you can see that. Matter of fact, a couple games ago when Kaiser had a, a turnaround KD-type shot in the game, uh, he said in the post-game press conference that he had to go against Alec every day for a year, and he learned some things. Is there a guy on the team now, a scholarship guy on the team, that, that maybe one or, or you, both of you have, have just kind of gone after to be that thorn in the side? Is there somebody, I mean, do you get up in Saki's face or Javon's face or anything like that? I mean, to the point that they would say that they absolutely hate you, like Alec used to say about John. He said it with love. But, right. I mean, do, do you guys, are there players that you guys kind of make their lives a living hell during practice? Uh, I'd say... I try to make uh, Donovan's life a living hell just because he's my roommate. So um, I'm I'm really close with him. But anytime I can, you know, do something on the court to him, get, get in his head a little bit, uh, it's a little moral victory for me. But yeah, I'd say Donovan. Clearly yeah, I would have to say either Donovan or Nick. Those are two guys that I find myself guarding a lot in practice or going against. And so I'm a pretty physical, aggressive guy. So they always kind of like, you know, it, like mess with me saying like oh you know you're hitting too hard or whatever like your screen like this like moving screens and I just kind of try to get them like going or whatever and coach core always loves it and is clapping every time when me and Luke can get in one of their heads because I mean that's kind of one of the reasons why we're here too is just to keep motivating all the players and everything. Saturday night was a special night at the arc Donovan Clay comes out has a great start to the game, a great steal and a, and a layup on the other end, which really kind of boosted you guys. And then Ben Cricky did something that a Valpo freshman hasn't done since going back to the time that they've had box scores that we could look at from 89-90 is the last year that or the first year that they have them, led the team in points, rebounds, and assists. A freshman has not done that in a single game in a long time. I know that you guys, uh, you, you bring in this, this you know, six freshmen, I think it is, right? Uh, is it a, is I mean, obviously you want everyone on the team to do well, but is there like a special thing when you see your classmates, your roommate, you know, coming together and doing something really special like that? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really awesome. I mean, we're me, Luke, and Donovan are always hanging out like all the time. So to see him like do really well in games, like we're always talking before games, after games, like we're always like, you know, like just talking about the game, what we saw, what he saw, and like seeing Ben and anyone like Big Millie, like all the freshmen, like we get really excited when they're and they're doing really good. Luke, just your thoughts on watching Ben have that game that he had. Um, I know Ben can do it. I, he's really comfortable in the post. He's got great feet. Uh, it's more like I like seeing that, getting his confidence up. So he'll probably he'll do that more. I know he will. Now, obviously, the coaches have to live here year-round. The players come and go and all of that. But, Luke, as 
Brock here has lived here his whole life. Did you lean on him for what restaurants are good in town or anything oh, like yeah. that? And, Brock's, and, uh, <laughs> Brock's kind of like, he takes, he's got a car, so we're always going out to eat. He's always driving me places. Uh, I'll go over to his house and uh, have dinner with his family a lot. So, yeah, Brock's been uh, really helpful to me, and he's always been there for me. Uh, just help me out whenever I need anything. Is that an important role for you to play as kind of the, uh, yeah. the town mayor a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely showing everyone where all the good food is and everything. Yeah, for sure. People have always, like, texted me, or even if it's not in Valpo, because, like, a lot of people are from, like, Chicago, or they don't even really know, like, like Malik at least is from Maryville, so he knows, like, the mall and stuff like that. But, like, some of the people from, like, Chicago or then even the foreigners, they'll ask me, like, Hey, like, like Siggy asked me when his family came in for Christmas, and he was like, "Is there any good things to do like around Christmas time or anything like that?" And I told him like, "Go up to Chicago, like, go ice skating by the Bean, kind of like stuff yeah. like that." But yeah, just helping out whatever I can with that. All right, a couple of quick hitting questions from guys who are going to be the most knowledgeable about the teammates. Who is? Uh, well, we'll keep it easy at first. Luke, who's the toughest player to guard in practice? Mm, toughest player uh, for me. Probably Daniel, just because he's so fast. Um, obviously, we we got a lot of uh, people that are hard to guard, but Daniel, just because of his speed, is he's tough to guard. Going downhill, it's tough to stay with him. Brock, what about you? Yeah, I'd either stay Daniel or go the other route and Malik, because uh, he's just a monster. I imagine <laughs> yeah. at, at your size, they, they kind of tell you, hey, you, you guys don't have a ton of size, so you have to just go and yeah. deal with him sometimes. Oh, yeah, no, I definitely have to go and go down there and guard the post and whatever and help out the post players. And I'm only 6'3", so having to guard those big guys is definitely hard. But, yeah, Malik is, I would have to say Malik for me. He's uh, just a monster down there. Now, I know there's a lot of love on this team, but I also know that you're basketball players. So, Brock, who's the biggest trash talker on the team? That's Zion Morgan. That's what I thought. Down. Okay, okay, <laughs> no question about it. Yeah. What can you give me an example? Maybe he's, for you know for a clean audience. If, yeah. Can you, no. Because he he has told me that he likes to. I mean, I watched him against uh, Tyreek Key and Jordan Barnes on that Indiana State game, and Zion was his mouth was moving a lot. What? Give me an example of a good Zion Morgan just, trash talk. Just any time, any time in practice. I mean, he he really has that. Like, I mean, we always talk about like Mamba mentality and and like. Zion definitely just loves Kobe, everything about him. So I guess one thing that's just ringing in my head that he always says is every time he makes a good pass or scores or something, and you'll say, like, good job, Zion. Like, instead of saying, like, thank you, he goes, just, that's what I do, man. That's what I do, like, all the time. Like, that's that's his go-to trademark one, but, yeah. Luke, you're, 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 anyone else besides Zion? Because I think Zion, if, if, if people spend time around the program, I think they know that Zion takes the cake. Is there? Uh... Yeah, no, definitely Zion. Yeah. Easily. Okay, um, you haven't mentioned him at all, so I want to ask. Obviously, Javon gets a lot of pub. W- Luke, when I say Javon Freeman Liberty, what stands out to you? Maybe something, is there a personality trait? Is there a move? Is it just something like when you think about, I got to go against Javon, what what goes through your brain? Um, prey? Yes, <laughs> yeah, most of the time it is prey, but no, he's definitely a, a special player. Um, consistency comes to my mind when I think about Javon. Just, I mean, he went on that run where he had, 20 plus points uh, in a row for a long time so he's he's a really special player um, and he's really uh, well I don't know about last year because I wasn't here but it seems like he's he's doing better leading the team and being more uh, in a leadership role this year so yeah I imagine you maybe watched him a little mm-hmm. bit last year did was the first time you stepped on the court with him, was it, I mean, like a bit of a gulp? Like, okay, here we go. Let's... Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, watching him last year, like, you would see, like, 
I see. I think consistency was a great word because, like, last year he would have those breakout games. Like, I remember he scored, like, 21 against ISU, like, towards the end of the year. And, like, he would have those breakout games here and there. But, like, this season been a lot more consistent. And just, yeah. But definitely I, something I would add to off the court is Javon's definitely a, a character and a lot more, like, a jokey kind of dude than he yeah. portrays in, like, his shy persona. But like, I see a lot of people don't see that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't see it. But once you get to know him and stuff, he's definitely a goofy dude. Uh, I want to ask you about Fazekas for a second. Here's a guy, second game of the year, got hurt, and spent a lot of time sitting down by you guys. Yep. And I'm sure he's probably not happy about it. Not no, you know, yeah, not to no, not be yeah. able to spend time with you guys. But what I mean, do, do you guys have a role with him then to keep him up or keep him just like what? What did you see from him? And, and I guess how thrilled are you guys to see him back? Um, really happy to see him back. Uh, I had fun uh, when he was sitting next to me during games, you know, joking around with him, talking with him. But I think he he just always has this, like, he'll get back mentality. Like, he's been through so many injuries that I think he was – he knew he would he would be back at some point. Um, and I'm just glad he's back now. And I think he's, he's happy he's back. There is a uh, – I don't really know if it's going on this year. It typically happens around tournament time and all of that. But the uh, – the bench mob mentality, the fun celebrations, you know, the shooting an arrow after a three-point or anything like that. Have you guys been – do you guys work on that stuff uh, at we all? We definitely have some workshop uh, of our bench celebrations that we'll be talking about where, I don't know, a couple times like before we're on the bench, I'll be telling Luke like, okay, after this next three, like I'm going to do something special and he'll like tell him something to do and I'll do something and we'll, like we'll just kind of roll with it, but yeah. We yeah. definitely like. We're definitely working on it. Yeah, we're definitely got, working on. It. We, we bring out. Yeah, we up. gotta. We gotta keep them hidden for a little while so we can really bring them out in the tournament time and stuff like that. But yeah, give me the funniest thing that Matt Lodick has said in the course of a game when you guys are on the bench. Mm. Or does or does he does he get you know? And I don't think Matt listens to Union oh, Street Hoops. So uh, it was our the U and I game. Ben had the steal and uh, Zion leaked out, and uh, Ben just took it all the way and. Um, Oh yeah, it was a close play. It could have been a dunk for Z, but uh, we still got the two points. And uh, Coach Laddick, he turns to us and he goes, "I hope to God he did not see Zion." <laughs> when he took off with the ball, but that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, who's? Which coach uh, has got the best game on the court? Do they? I mean, I imagine they they have to get out. You talk about how banged up mm-hmm. you guys are. Yeah. I imagine these guys have got a. I mean, I know Luke Gore likes to talk up his career at Bethel <laughs> back in the day. Does he actually? Can he back it up, or what do you what do you see from the coaches game wise? I mean, it's Coach Lottie hands down, definitely yeah. the most skilled. Uh, I mean, Coach Gore gets in there every once in a while. The thing that Coach Gore is very good at is pool basketball. Oh, when yeah. we played in the summertime. We played at his house in the pool. And he would just, he'd, uh, he'd be like Malik when we're on the court, but in the pool, just throwing around everyone, like, but yeah. But on the court, I would have to say Coach Lodek, 100%. I'd agree with that. Uh, I'm really thrilled to be joined by Luke and Brock here. And I, I guess I want to wrap up with this. Um, Luke, for you, what is success look like? You know, by, by the, when, you, when you wrap up this year, personal-wise, team-wise, anything like that, just kind of what will make this a successful, good experience? Um, I think uh, success to me would be um, is our team better since the beginning of the year and uh, am I better individually since the beginning of the year in all aspects of school, basketball, uh, as a person. And I think that's that's why I'm here. Um, 
not only for basketball, but to, to grow as a person and as a student. So, Brock, I'll ask you the same question. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to go around pretty much the same thing. Because I was even here for a year before joining the basketball team, and just the difference in last year and this year has been tremendous for me. Like, just getting out more socially. My schoolwork's actually getting better, having less time in the classroom, which is weird because I feel like, I don't know, it, it maybe eliminates some procrastination, so that helps out a lot. And then some for success, I... For the team, I just really want to, you know, all of us get better together, grow together, you know, create those memories and everything like that. And then I definitely want to be in that big dance when it comes down to the end of the end of the season. Luke Morrill and Brock Pappas, two walk-ons for Valpo. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thank you.